Welcome to Ask the Dean. My name is Dr. Ryan Gray, and I'm the co-founder of MAPT. I'm joined every week by Rachel Grubbs, the other co-founder of MAPT, who has 20 years' experience in the pre-med and test prep world, and by Dr. Scott Wright, former executive director of TMDSAS and former director of admissions at UT Southwestern Medical School. Ask the Dean is a weekly Q&A we do live exclusively for our MAPT members, and this podcast is a recording of that session so that everyone can benefit from that knowledge. Yeah, I got the first one here. I finished my BSc in medical laboratory sciences at a four-year university while in the military. My degree did not cover the core prereqs, biochem, physics, or go for a medical school. Will completing these prereqs at a community college post-bac be seen negatively by adcoms? I would have to pay out of pocket. So uh, a little bit of a twist to the standard is is community college bad question, right? This is someone who was in the military, did their degree, and is now looking at doing their prereqs, uh, almost like a career changer, but just because they didn't take the, the core prereqs right. somewhere else. Right. They're looking for the cheapest option because they're paying out of pocket. And, right. and how bad will that be? Yeah, I think this is a good question. And, and th- th- unfortunately, there's not enough information here to really answer it uh, adequately. Um, the, the questioner does not indicate how well they did in the med lab sciences program. So uh, it, it's difficult, a little bit difficult to know, uh, to be able to say for sure. Um, but I, so I think that uh, I'll, I'll say that assuming that the student did well in the med lab sciences program while in the military. The well being, you know, let's say three, five or better. Um, and then I, I think that um, going to community college to do the, the prereqs is not, is not going to be seen necessarily as, as negative. Um, and, and I think the MCAT score is going to affect this as well. And so the three things together, how they did in the, in the med lab sciences program, how well they do at the community college and what that MCAT score looks like are gonna work together in this kind of a case. And so I would say, assuming that they did well in their undergrad, uh, then I would, not, um, I would not think that community college work will, will disadvantage them necessarily. Um, but it, like I said, it's a little bit difficult to judge based on the information that we have here. Yeah, I think it's, it's so important. We, we you and I historically go to the context of what, what is the bigger picture, right? It's, it's not just as simple as is community college good or bad. It's a, what is the big, big picture, right? Are you hopping back and forth between your four year university and a community college? Cause you keep failing the four year university class right. and then you go to community college and take it. Uh, are, are you, whatever the situation is for why you are at the community college, right? It's not the what, it's the so what, why, why are you there? That's and if correct. You're, you're not needing to quote unquote, prove your academic readiness, then it's probably not going to hurt you. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, yeah. I, I think it's, it's always a, an important conversation that the context matters, right? We, we talk right. about it all the time with GPA. Like, right. okay, you have a 3.4, that's the what? Well, so what? What what does that look like? It, did you bomb your first two years and you crushed your last two years? Right. Um, that that right. trend is really important and, and nobody talks about that. Yep, exactly. That's exactly right. Uh, next question here is, uh, how do I decide if I'm ready to apply or if 
I should wait. Hmm, we have an Am I Ready series for that. Oh, I know, right? Uh, um, I am a junior and have over 7,000 hours of clinical experience working and volunteering as an EMT. I also work as an uh, electromyography technician and have multiple leadership positions. However, I struggled my freshman and sophomore year of undergrad due to personal circumstances. Uh, maybe working too much. That's a lot yeah. of hours. Um, junior year has been going much better. Great. I'm taking courses I love and I feel much more confident. I'm planning to take the MCAT in the spring. Should I wait to apply so my GPA trend improves? Yeah. It's funny. I was actually talking about this. Um, where was I talking about? I was talking about this with someone earlier, and I don't remember who I was talking to. But the the really the the crux of the conversation that I had, and it's making me mad. That I don't remember who I was talking to. Uh, it was literally today. Um, that's how bad my memory is. Uh, is the if if you need those classes to prove your academic capability, then you probably shouldn't be applying. Mm. Like this, this student is really a junior. So they're probably asking normal time frame application going into mm -hmm. senior year, but they're probably going to need their senior year courses to prove their academic capability to continue their upward trend mm -hmm. and to really uh, hopefully show that they've turned it around from their freshman and sophomore years. Right. So this is, a, in my mind, a, an easy answer of if you need, quote unquote, need those classes, you probably should wait to apply. Uh, a lot of students will make the mistake of applying with the assumption that they will send an update to the schools with their new GPA from that semester. And it's just, it doesn't work that way. And mm -hmm. A lot of schools are going to not care about your updates and it's just right. whatever you've entered is what you've yeah. entered and and sorry that's just the way it is yeah no i i completely agree with that i think you know while you know some schools may have a robust system of evaluating updates i think that most schools it's going to be lost on them and, and you're exactly right whatever is in there that you inputted initially that's what they're going to be seeing and that's what they're going to use to evaluate you as a candidate and uh, and so I think, uh, you know, my 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 feeling is that um, this particular student needs to uh, really consider um, the, the importance of having that senior year under their belt before they apply. And uh, so I, I would consider this a, a, a prime candidate for maybe a gap year um, to, to uh, in, in order for that to, to to happen so that they that the medical schools get the full impact of that trend as you as you were indicating, Ryan. So um, I agree with you completely. And I, I think this 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 sounds like a, a good gap year student to me. Yeah, and it's it's interesting, right? It, just logically thinking about it, just the nuts and bolts of how this whole process works is students submit their applications to the the application service. The application services do all of their work behind the scenes, verifying the transcripts, verifying each of those courses, and then sending that data to the schools. And TMDSS is a little bit different. They send the data yep. and then verify a little bit later. Yep. Um, but all of that verification is happening. And then if, if you are like, well, why won't they accept an update? Well, just think about the thousands of students applying to each of the schools, then sending 
some random formatted email or image of a transcript to each of the schools, like they can't get that information into their systems easily and verified and, and, and to be able to change your GPA. Like it's just, it's yeah. too much of a, of a, a operational nightmare yep. to be able to do that. And TMDSAS is awesome. They, they have, you guys have your own system, separate system to do that mm -hmm. uh, built into the application service, but for other schools, it's just, it's impossible. And so yeah, yeah, you're you right. Really, you really want to wait until you have those grades under your belt. If you're relying on them to prove academic readiness. Yep. Agree completely. Um, Rachel, let's see. So yeah, we can go to live comments now. Um, the only thing I wanted to chime in on that is that person, whoever asked that didn't give us any specifics. So, uh, you know, that's fine. She may know, or he may know, they may know, I should just say they, they may know, but every once in a while you stumble across that person who's like, well, I dipped to a 3.7, 6, 7. So that's really bad. Right. So, Please reality check what you yeah. think are bad numbers with someone who respects you yes. more than they love you. Um, right. to, you know, <laughs> and and then everything, Ryan and Scott Absolutely. said. How important is shadowing if I have over 2,000 hours of clinical work? This is a very common question. I yeah, have it tons is. Tons of clinical, do I need shadowing? Or I have tons of shadowing, do I need clinical? Right. Scott, right. What, what are your thoughts on this? Yeah, so I, I think, um, again, as with anything, there, there are nuances to this question. And uh, my, my feeling is that I think some shadowing could be, is, is always beneficial, particularly uh, depending on where all this clinical work is. So a good example would be, let's say you're doing a lot of clinical work in an inpatient setting. And uh, in a hospital or, 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 or long-term long care facility or, you know, something like that. And, uh, but you have no experience in the private sector with, you know, uh, private offices or a variety of different types of fields of medicine. So I, I think shadowing, what, what, what shadowing does is broadens that. Is it says to the, to the admissions committee, this person knows what medic what medicine is in a variety of settings with a variety of, of caregivers and uh, and they really get it they they get what what the what the the broadness of of, of medicine in, in the United States is, looks like and it's all about same thing with shadowing i think that you know you got a ton of shadowing uh, maybe shadowing you're just kind of standing there watching uh, clinical, you're more involved with what's going on in the in the setting, and so um, so I think that in this particular case, uh, I think it's possible that uh, shadowing would be beneficial, um, uh, depending on where this clinical work was and what kind of exposure you had and stuff like that. So, so I'd say you know it it, it really it, it really kind of depends. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, and really just understanding, right? These are two different things. Um, yep. Shadowing on the application is listed separately than clinical experience. You're you're gaining different thoughts and ideas from each experience, uh, and so one does not outweigh the other. And, and there are caveats, as you mentioned, right? Scribing is one of those things where it's considered a clinical experience, 
But most schools know that a lot of scribing is basically shadowing, but you're doing work too. Um, yep. And and so they'll they'll give you the benefit of the doubt if you don't have a lot of shadowing, but you have a lot of scribing that they're like, well, this basically counts, so it's fine. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but obviously, we can't sign off on that for every school. Every school is going to be a little bit different. Mm -hmm. Exactly. <sighs> All right. Dr. Gray, I have read your personal statement playbook, but I am still struggling on identifying one specific seed. Any advice? I've had the family health scares, the personal illnesses, the exposure to health care through family, but not sure what exactly planted the seed for myself. So it's, this is funny. I, I did a workshop uh, on this recently, uh, a, really about your story and finding your seed. And, and during the workshop, we did uh, a little bit of an exercise to find the seed. And it, it really comes down to when was that first time where you were like, hmm, like this, this might be interesting. This might be cool. I think I might want to check this out. I think a lot of students think uh, the way that I uh, that I talk about the seed is that like hits you in the head, knocks you out, like oh my gosh, I have to be a physician. Um, and it's just that's not it. It's it's when was the first time where you were like, wow, this is really cool. This might be something I'm interested in. And it's it's confusing because a lot of students who may be coming from uh, from other healthcare fields, whether nursing, PA, veterinary medicine. I, I've worked with some students who, who were interested in vet medicine first. Their seed are those things. Yeah. Their seed is, why were you interested in vet medicine? And then you're going to have to tell the story about what's bringing you towards human medicine. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and so it, it really is your specific journey. And yes, obviously, the far majority of us are going to have multiple healthcare experiences, but there's only one time where you were first thinking, wow, this might be cool. This might be interesting. Mm -hmm. I think I might want to do that. Mm -hmm. And maybe it was a really long time ago and you don't remember, but but try and ask your family and like, hey, mom, when did I first start talking about wanting to be a physician and, and let that bring out your memories and, and thoughts? Yeah. Yeah. I think sometimes sometimes it requires some uh, some investigative uh, effort mm -hmm. uh, with, you know, mom and our dad or grandma or grandpa or, you know, aunt, aunt or uncle who was a doctor or, you know, wh whatever. I think takes a little sleuthing uh, sometimes to sort of figure that out and, and get a good sense of, you know, where, where did this ever start? Where, where was the initial impulse? And, uh, and you know, I, I have so many stories. I've heard so many stories of students who said, you know, I, I remember as a five-year-old dissecting a frog on the on the pavement outside my house, you know, and, That's and it was just, <laughs> I was fascinated with blah, 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 whatever. And, uh, and, you know, and, or, or being fascinated with the human body. I, I remember uh, back in the day when I was, when I was a kid, um, we had encyclopedias, the actual books yeah. and, uh, under anatomy in, in the A book, uh, they had these little, um, they had these little pages with layover screen kind of things that you would lay over each other that you could sort of see through por portions of it that you would lay over things. And it was the anatomy of the body and it had the, 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 the muscular system and the, the skeletal system. And you would just lay on over each other. 
And I've, I've had many times where students said that's, that was the seed for me. I was fascinated with looking at the encyclopedia and all the little parts of the body and how it fit together and everything. And so I think it takes some of that effort because often you, you may not remember those things until you begin to uncover them with people that were important in your life. Um, you know, and, and, you know, I suppose there's some people that, that could be out there where that becomes a real struggle to find where that seed is. And so I think my feeling is sometimes, um, that sometimes you have to uh, accept that you may not be able to, to find or remember or people in your life may not really ever get to where's that definite seed. You know, it was just always, well, you ought, you just always talked about it. And that was just something that you always said. And, and, uh, but I, I think it's important to, to, to recognize and to admit that creating uh, meaning for yourself in this process of examining where is this seed and wh where does this come from and where was this initial impulse uh, that that even going through that process can be uh, incredibly meaningful uh, to you uh, and, and 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 allow you to sort of put together the story as it unfolds in front of you. Um, so you know, enjoy that part of it. Don't lament. Oh, I don't remember you know, where the seed is, but enjoy the uncovering uh, of all this stuff and, and figuring that process out. Let it be uh, exciting to you to, to, to do that. Yeah. So while we're still on the personal comments essay, let's take this one. How important is it to stick to a certain format when writing your personal statement? Not referring to actual content or story, but the intro body outro outline. To, to clarify, could you, quote, play around with the format and start out writing the personal statement like a narrative or, quote, book to convey your story, perhaps signaling one's educational background in literature, if that makes sense? <laughs> so, <laughs> well, I've seen some of these. <laughs> yeah, I have too. And, you know, I would say, you know, I think that a student has to be comfortable in their own skin. Uh, and then comfortable with how they're going to um, translate that into the into into a narrative. And uh, I see a lot of students over the have seen a lot of students over the years who have, um, according the, using the words of this questioner, played around with you know a variety of different ways of doing that. And I don't think that there's a, a a right way or a wrong way necessarily. I, I guess there are some wrong ways, but there's not necessarily just a, a one right way. Um, I think that you want it. However, I would, I would hasten to add that I think you don't want to be too creative. Uh, I've seen some uh, personal statements where the, the telling of the story gets in the way of the meaning. And it, it, it becomes difficult to sort of figure out what are they doing here? Mm -hmm. um, and you have to recognize that at least at some level, particularly early on in the, in the process, reviewers are looking at these things quickly. They're, they're scanning, they're, they're, um, they're really evaluating in, in, a, in, a, in a fairly uh, routine, quick kind of way. What does this look like? What's going on here? What's, what is this? Uh, what does this personal statement say? And and then and then they go from there. So if if it gets too convoluted or too much of a of a creative thing, I, I saw one one time 
this is no joke. It was a poem. It was it was like a three thousand word poem, <laughs> and uh, not a haiku. Thank God, but it was just it was just it, it was a little over the top, and yeah. and it, it it became very difficult to get a sense of what they were talking about yeah. and what they were trying to do, and it was just o- way over the top. And uh, and so I think you you don't want to be too creative, but I think some creativity can be can be good, but it has to fit with not only your personality and your story, but it, it has you have to keep in mind that you are writing this to someone who doesn't know you, who's never met you, who is trying to understand your story. So if the if the telling of the story gets in the way of the story, that's a problem. Who's, who's trying to understand your story in a relatively short amount of time. Correct. Yeah. I think that's, that's right. a key part of it. Yep. Uh, I, I think um, I, I think a lot of students try to be different just to be different. And, yeah. and they they hear me talk about uh, or they, they read my book and go, well, if, if this book sells a thousand copies, then a thousand students are going to all write the same way. Uh, even though I don't specifically tell you one way to write the personal statement. Um, and they go, well, I'm going to do the opposite because everyone else is doing this one thing. And that's mm. where students kind of go off the rails, right? It's, right. There's a reason it's it's popular. There's a reason I, I, I talk about what I talk about in the book because of what resonates with people. Um, a, a poem, obviously, I think a little bit over the top. Yeah. I, I think... I think there are some potential opportunities specifically for this student and how they're asking the question the the signaling one's educational background in literature they may be able to to incorporate some of those uh kind of styles and techniques in their personal statement that may work really well mm-hmm. and and my response to that is try it and get some yeah. feedback and, and yep. see what that feedback is. Yep. Um, and, and don't be married to the idea because the feedback is going to be important to decide on, on what you do and get feedback from people. Uh, Rachel, what was the, the thing you said earlier? Like people who like love you, but what? Oh, what uh, yeah. What I like to say is get your essay feedback from people who respect you more than they love you. Yes. Yes. Um, and by the way, I do have to give credit for any of you who remember from college, college admissions, uh, Paul Canarac. I'm pretty sure he's the one who taught me that phrase. So yeah. any of our pre-meds who are like, oh yeah, I did SAT with that guy. <laughs> <laughs> he's the one who taught me that. But but yeah, and you just, you know, mom and dad are going to be biased and mom and dad are not pre-med experts. Correct. Um, and even if they're physicians, it's changed a lot. Yeah. Um, uh, and even older sibling, you know, again, they, they know what got them in, right? But an advisor at school, <laughs> is a good person to ask because you know they know you but they're interested in helping you get in they're not as worried about hurting your feelings and you know hopefully everyone gives feedback in a constructive way but yeah yeah i want to expand just uh one other second on this one and the the kind of language that this person used signaling one's educational background in literature i always hesitate to make sure that you're pushing your agenda in your application to say, hey, look at me, I have an educational background in literature. At the end of the day, I don't really care about that. I still wanna know who you are and I'm gonna see that you have an educational background in literature throughout the rest of your application. Don't push that narrative because you think it's gonna make you stand out or be different. Right. right. There are plenty of other students who are out there applying with various other random degrees and backgrounds and educations 
Um, so don't think that that is the thing that's going to help you stand out. If you want to use some of those skills and techniques in your personal statement, great, but don't do it just mm -hmm. so you can stand out and, and make it known that you have this background. Yeah. If you do it, if you do it too far, if you go too far with it, you're going to be standing out. You're going to be standing out in the cold. <laughs> Yeah. So this is interesting because you guys used the same phrase either last week or maybe the week before about pushing your own agenda, like in terms of the applicant. And I think in that case, it was one of um, one of our mapped members who has children and was asking, like, when is the right time? And you guys were like, well, maybe never. never I mean, AMCAS does ask you to declare dependence. So there. <laughs> um, but like, you know, I think she was she or he, they were specifically asking, like, is it in my personal statement? Is it in a secondary? Is it in the interview? And maybe any of those, maybe none of those. Right. But so when you say push personal agenda, I guess, like, that's not always clear to me. So I wonder if it's clear to all of our listeners, too. Like, what's what's the risk there? Like, what is it like you're worried that they're presenting a story about themselves that isn't relevant to medicine? When when I say that, I am generally coming from a place of stop trying to sell yourself, stop okay. trying to stand out, stop trying to tell me what you think is important, and just tell your story, answer the question in the secondary, right. answer the question in the interview. Right. Uh, too many students go off on a tangent, and they'll they'll hear a question or they'll read a question. And they go, oh, this is the perfect time to, to tell them that I was the captain of the volleyball team and, and, and how I know that, that medicine is a team, uh, a team sport. And because of my experience in the volleyball, like, it's just like, don't like, stop pushing your agenda. Trying too hard. Yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah. All right. Thanks. Uh, let's see. Here's a good one. Does clinical experience in another country count? For example, a summer internship abroad. Mm. Yeah, so this is a this is a good question. I, I in fact, I was uh, earlier today. I had a a uh, Zoom session with a student, and uh, he was struggling to find uh, even before COVID, struggling to find some clinical work. He's an international student from China. And uh, he ended up going back to China and doing quite a bit of clinical activities in an international hospital in China and readily admitted uh, that it was very different than, than what he assumed uh, uh, medicine in the United States was like. He's got some, a, a little bit of experience in medicine in the United States. And so I think the key here is recognizing that different healthcare systems are indeed different. And uh, what you have to know is that, you know, the, the vast majority, 99% of students that go to uh, American uh, medical schools are going to practice in the United States. And so having, having experience in the American healthcare system, the, the good, the bad, the ugly, you know, everything about it uh, is going gonna, is gonna to be expected. And uh, if, you, if, if your only experience is, um, shadowing or some clinical activities in another country, then that introduces you to what it's like in that country. It doesn't say anything about what it's like in the United States. What What is the life of a physician like? Uh, particularly depending on the healthcare system, if it's a socialized system, it's going to be vastly different in terms of what, what the physician is going to be doing and facing in their daily life, as opposed to here in the United States with this 
with a, a multiple pay, multiple payer system and, and all that's involved with that. So I, I, I definitely think that that will not suffice. It, it, it does count and it's, it's fascinating and it's going to depend a little bit on you to sort of fill in the blanks about what you gained from that, the so what part uh, of that experience and what it meant to you. But I don't think it's, it's going to, uh, to be the end all and beat all of, of what you're going to be expected to be doing in terms of understanding what healthcare in the United States is about. Yeah. I agree. I'm currently in the low stats, decent ECs category, sub 3.0 cumulative GPA and science GPA. There's an upward trend in my senior year. Currently thinking of doing a post-bac as well as the Med-Sci program at UNTHSC. Thoughts on the program and how I should start to reinvent myself? Mm, yeah, this is a good question. So this is, this is essentially a Texas question. Uh, for those of you that don't know, UNTHSC uh, is the University of North Texas Health Science Center in Fort Worth. It is a osteopathic medical school, and they have also a... Uh, special master's program where uh, they largely it's for GPA correction, but uh, um, it, it can be used in, in, in a few other ways uh, as well. And, uh, and I think that um, the, the, this program in Texas is pretty widely uh, understood and known of in the, in the, uh, in the Texas, among Texas medical schools and the, the people that are involved in the process of medical education in Texas. Outside of Texas, I, I, I don't know how well known it is, um, particularly outside of the osteopathic world. Uh, so I would say um, it, it's, if your plan is to go to medical school in Texas, then I would say it's a good, uh, it's a good opportunity. It's a, it's a large program. There's probably, I want to say 250 students in the program, maybe 300. Uh, and uh, so it's a large program. They do a, a great job. I've, I've spoken at, at, at their program uh, um, many, many times. Uh, and uh, I feel really good about it. They take uh, a lot of their classes with the first year, first and second year medical students at the Health Science Center there. And uh, so um, I would say it's a good opportunity to, as you put it, reinvent yourself. And, uh, and, um, I think that, uh, it's really all going to be about how well you do in the process and in that program and, uh, and assuming that you do well and, and well, if you've got a sub 3.0 GPA and science GPA, then you don't have a whole lot of room for, you don't have a whole lot of wiggle room. Yeah. Uh, you gotta, you gotta really blast it out uh, the top and, uh, the MCAT score, uh, will be important to to corroborate the, that uh, in the process, and they're going to you know help you in that. The other thing that's nice about these special master's programs like this UNT uh, program is that they have a lot of a lot of things that they do to help you craft your your application, uh, put together uh, a good package, uh, and uh, and so it can be a, a real benefit, I think. So. Um, so I'd say go for it, uh, uh, depending on kind of the nuances of your particular story. But I think the, the med science uh, program at UNT is, is, is a, good, a good, strong program. Now, that is opposed to doing an undergraduate post-bac program. There are a variety of, of sort of unstructured programs in Texas. There's really not a, there's really not a structured post-bac program 
uh, in the state that is structured in, in the way that a lot of schools are doing it. Um, in, in we're a cohort system and you're coming in and you're doing, you know, X, Y, and Z along with, with others. Um, there's really not one of those. Most of them are, most students, um, when they're really wanting to apply into Texas schools, they're, they're doing a lot of effort to, uh, on the, in, in the do-it-yourself kind of category. There are, there are a couple of programs that are unstructured where you work with an advisor to sort of put together a package that's going to get you, depending on your background, where you want to go and, and address the needs that you have, whether you're second career or, <clears throat> or a GPA um, renovator or whatever. And just just for clarification, if someone uh, is listening to what you just said and it was like, wait a minute, I'm confused. So um, UNTHSC is the Texas College of Osteopathic Medicine or Texas yep. College of Osteopathic Medicine is at UNTHSC. But TCU also partnered with yep. UNTHSC for an MD school. So Correct. That, that area has two medical schools now, allopathic yep. and osteopathic. And osteopathic. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. And that, that TCU one is three years old now at this point, I think. Yeah, I think that's about right. Yep. <sighs> Put this one up. Well, my friends, for our regular listeners, this is the time in the show where somebody wants to know what happens when they didn't get any clinical <laughs> experience this year because of COVID. And even though we get asked it every week, I get emailed about 20 more. <laughs> <laughs> so... You might give an abbreviated version, but I'm gonna go ahead and have you I'm answer. Clinical experience. The hours I have are from being a caregiver to a to my mother for years, and still to this day, I was going to start before COVID, and it was canceled. I'm actively searching for another opportunity to plan to become an EKG tech during my gap year. Will this be too late for this upcoming app cycle? Short answer: I think probably. Um, probably be, uh, I mean, basically if, if you're, if you, if you don't have much outside of caring for your mom, if you don't have, um, a lot of clinical experience, and I, I, I'll hasten to add, I'm not minimizing the care that you're giving to your mother and the importance of that and how, how, um, instrumental that process can be. That's a little bit different though. And I think it's going to be seen as a little bit different by most admissions committees. Yep. And, uh, and so what I would say is, you know, really what you want to do is um, examine, um, you know, really you have basically four or five months uh, to get something going. Uh, if you're able to become a EKG tech, um, then I would say maybe you want to wait a year and uh, get a lot of that under your belt and then apply. Um, because I'm a little worried about the lack of clinical experience and, you know, I, I, I don't know. I mean, it's a, it's a lot of big question marks here with COVID and stuff, but um, I think if you, if you don't have any clinical experience outside of caring for a family member, I'm a little, I'm a little concerned about that. Yeah. And remember we we don't tell you this because you need a certain number of hours before you should think about applying you you need to have this experience so that you understand what the heck you're yep. getting yourself into and taking yep. care of your mom while obviously very important and very impactful doesn't tell you that you're going to like being a physician that you're going to like mm -hmm. taking care of other people's moms and so yeah. it's, 
it's very important to have that experience under your belt so that you can talk about it so you know for yourself for sure that this is what you want to do and and, and go through yeah uh, it, it's funny that this question came kind of on the back of us talking about this tcu unthsc school um, because i i had a student a couple of years ago who's who was in their first class so she's second year third year at this point um uh, she was a reapplicant to medical school because their first time applying, all she had was caregiver uh, for a family mm -hmm. member, mm -hmm. and it, it just wasn't good enough. And and um, she didn't change much other than she got much better experience and was able to write about those things differently in her application and talk about them differently in her application. That she was successful the second time around. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I graduated with a chemical engineering deg uh, bachelor's degree with a 318 GPA after doing a fifth year at my university. Since graduating, I've completed 25 semester science units at a community college and bumped it to a 3.3. I have a steady upward trend since spring 1718. Is this damage control enough or should I consider something more formal? Do admissions committees give a little more leeway to engineering majors? I want, I want to throw this one under like this whole <laughs> pre-med myth. Like you're a biomedical engineer, your three five is like a three seven, and med med schools do that calculation. Yeah. I mean, obviously Scott's the one who needs to answer this, but I will say I think engineering is a special question because many engineering programs, all exams are curved, and most of the people in the room are getting C's. Right. Like there's very few B's. There's very few A's. There's very few D's. There's very few F's. Like it's a true bell curve. And I, I think I mean, I don't know if that applies to this person, but I've seen that with a lot of engineering programs. So I just want to throw out that it might be a three three from an engineer at a school like that means like, man, they were killing it and people in their class hated them. Right. <laughs> um, right. So there is that possibility. Well, I, I so I think. I, I, I would see this as the same thing related to a student that asks a question about, should I go to X university that is really hard and has a reputation for being, you know, tough and, and blah, 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 whatever, or should I go to X other school that um, I, I think I might could do better at because it's not as difficult. Even and, in, inside the same university, should I take this professor who's who's known right, easy right. or that professor? Right, exactly. Hard. Yeah, exactly. And so these all fit in the same in the same category of, of question, I think. And so I do think that medical school admissions committees recognize that not all majors are the same. That some majors are inherently more difficult than other majors, and some have different grading <clears throat> scales. Um, depending on sort of the realities of that major or the realities of that particular institution uh, or a particular professor who's just known as a difficult grader or whatever. And so it, it, to the point of this questioner, I, I think that I, I don't think you can ride on the fact that you're an engineering major and that, you know, somehow the three one is going to, or the three one eight is going to make it all okay. I think that a little bit of it is going to depend on the MCAT score. Uh, you know, if you hit the, 
you know, hit the, the ball out of the ballpark in terms of MCAT, then, yeah, I think an admissions committee might, might be able to say, okay, well, com the, com the combination of a, of a engineering major, a difficult, you know, really tough major. And I agree with you, Rachel, that, that on most campuses, engineering majors are the toughest majors, not all campuses, but I think they're, they're really well known for being extra hard on grading and, and, and difficult. Uh, you don't have a whole lot of wiggle room in terms of, uh, in terms of electives and stuff. They're packed full. The, the curriculum is packed full and uh, et, et cetera. So, so really what I would say to this, this questioner is, yeah, there's a little tiny bit of leeway given for some majors and, and some universities and stuff. There's no, you know, there's no, alteration to the GPA in some sort of formulaic way based on what school you went to or what major you had or whatever, that does not occur. I've never heard that anywhere, that there's any kind of sort of uh, systematic, you know, alteration of the, of the GPA based on uh, other external or internal factors or whatever. So, um, so really, I, I think that this particular student, I think that the MCAT's going to be pretty important. Uh, I think it, having done the science units at a community college is going to be a little bit tough because what an admissions committee won't know is, <clears throat> okay, you were, you were performing at the 3-2 level at X university in a tough major. And I can guarantee you that med school is going to be tougher than your engineering major. Uh, it's going to be more, it's going to be more information. It's going to be coming at you a lot faster. It's going to be, it, it, you know, and so that in and of itself, is not going to hold any water with an admissions committee. Uh, and so what I think you have to do is, is I would say, I would recommend in this particular case that um, you need to match the community college work that you've done with some upper level uh, biological sciences courses at a four-year institution uh, that will say to the admissions committee, the community college work that I've done is real, uh, it, it, and, and I'm performing now in upper-level biological sciences uh, coursework at a, at a four-year university that matches with what I did at the community college level. I'm also providing you with an MCAT score that says I have a high level of ability to take this information that I've learned and utilize it in a way that's going to uh, be effective. And uh, I've got all the critical thinking stuff, et cetera. Um, so, you know, I, I think that just saying, well, I was an engineering major is not going to fly. Yeah. I agree. All right. We've probably got time for one more. I think this will be our last. I've been a leader of my pre-med org for my fourth year now. Currently the president and looking to continue for a fifth year as I really enjoy mentoring pre-meds on the right journey. Granted, my own GPA has took a hit, thus having to spend extra years to recover academically through the post-bac slash masters. I sometimes worry if I enjoy it too much and med schools will question my dedication to medicine. I hope to one day be in charge of a residency program to help prevent physician burnout, etc. So hmm. this is kind of a, uh, a, a multiple part question. Yeah. <laughs> uh, re really, really not. The, the question comes down to, and, and I've seen this a lot from students who feel guilty that they're not 
full steam ahead with, I should get through undergrad as fast as possible and get yeah. to medical school or else medical schools will question my dedication to this. Mm-hmm. 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 And all I, all I lean back on is, well, what's your story? What's your story? Yeah. What, yeah. Is, what do you want? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the first thing that struck me, uh, it, there's a little bit of irony here in this question uh, because what the, what the, what the question says is uh, looking forward to continuing this in the fifth year. I really enjoy mentoring pre-meds on the right journey. And then it goes on to say, basically I took the wrong journey <laughs> uh, or, or a different journey. Mm-hmm. And uh, that that he struggled with academically, in part, assu- I'm assuming, because of the level of commitment that they had to this this student organization. And so, you know, I, I think any time that there is a problem with academics, then there has to be a deep reexamination of what am I doing, where am I spending my time, what are the priorities here. And, uh, and and getting it right. Um, now, what I would say is this may be leading you as an individual down a, a, an entirely different road. Uh, you know, you, you, I think you need to examine that. If you're really into mentoring uh, and uh, you like the idea of preventing physician burnout, as you say, uh, maybe you need to focus more on preventing pre-med burnout. Uh, than physician burnout. Um, there could be a lot of things that th- there's a lot of uh, of, of uh, directions that you could go uh, uh, in 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 a journey. Now, assuming that you want to go, definitely are committed to the idea of going to medical school and all that. Then I definitely think a post back program or or a special ma- <clears throat> special master's program is going to be going to be necessary uh, for this. But I, I I do think there's a, a very significant level of of self-examination necessary for this questioner to say why why was I not able to to balance the two and what is going to stop me because you know medical schools have student organizations too and uh, is am I going to get right back into the exact same situation in medical school because I get overcommitted to a student organization or some effort that is a good thing and they're you know, beneficial things playing out here, but the wheels fall off academically. So, yeah, it's, it's, and that's why I always, I always talk about, I, one of the biggest mistakes that new college students make is taking on too much, not adjusting to being a good college student first and needing to dig themselves out of this GPA hole. And, and so, uh, yep. I'm glad that you found a passion mentoring other people. I'm not as worried uh, about what it looks like to schools. If no, this is your passion and and that's what you want, great. Talk about that. Lean on that. Yeah. But don't don't think it's going to hinder you from getting into school because they're going to be like, no. "Well, you should go be a, a teacher instead," or yeah. whatever. No, and 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 I what I think here is that you know based on what the questioner has said. Uh, Sounds like there there may be a, a really good candidate for for being in academic medicine. I mean, that's what mac, yep. academic academic medicine is all about: is mentoring and teaching and and helping students along the way and, and stuff like that. So, you know, you may want to really examine uh, academic medicine as a career uh, if 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 you're really into teaching and mentoring. Yep. 
Well, folks, I think that is the end of our 2020 Ask the Dean Hard to believe. Hard to believe. That's what I was going to say. No Ask the Dean on, uh, well, for our live folks, December 28th. Our our YouTube folks are watching this weeks later anyway. Uh, But we will be back January 4th. Yeah, we will. We will. Not too long of a break. Yeah, not too long. And and I will hasten to add to all of you out there, happy holidays to you. Stay safe and uh, enjoy your families and enjoy the time off, whatever time off you get. And uh, use it to just do nothing sometimes. It's the <laughs> best thing you could do. Wear uh, a mask, stay away from other people. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> just stay at home and, you know, uh, do do fun things that you can do. Watch lots of Netflix and uh catch up on the crown or whatever it is that will, you know, really uh, do, do good stuff for you, but uh, stay safe and uh, enjoy your, enjoy your holidays to you, Ryan and Rachel. Thank you for a wonderful year and uh, looking forward to next year. Looking forward to, to, uh, to next year and our work together. It's going to be fun. It will be. And definitely lots of updates. We talked about it at the top of the show uh, and, and lots more updates coming soon. We're going into our, our next sprint as the, as we call them uh, in terms of what we're building on the app uh, will be a lot of application features. So working on your personal statements, working on uh, your extracurricular descriptions all inside of map. So lots of stuff to come. Uh, we appreciate everyone watching, everyone who is a member of Mapped. Uh, lots of great stuff to come in yep. the new year. Thank you all. All right. Adios. This is Dr. Gray again, closing out. I hope you learned something from our session today. If you haven't yet checked out Mapped, I invite you to try it for free for two weeks by going to mapped.com slash podcast. Track and navigate your journey to medical school using the only tool like it for pre-meds. We'll see you next week here on Ask the Dean.